that really tries to ponder God. And one of the things that in, in one of the Psalms, uh, the psalmist wrote that God was speaking, and God says, one of the problems is you think I'm just like you. And he's not. He's God. I want to read a couple of psalms here. And when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you take thought of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you've made him a little lower than God, and you crown him with glory and majesty. You make him to rule over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. The heavens declare his righteousness, and all the people have seen his glory. The next psalm, please. Or was that all of them? Okay. Just in the beginning of this, I, this is a, a message that I've entitled for my working purposes, just to know him. But I would suggest that for just a moment, you, a moment's time to think a little bit, that you bring yourself out from under most of what you've been taught in the past about knowing God, move away from uh, hours and hours and hours of Bible reading, also move a little farther away from hours and hours and hours of prayer, what we've called prayer, and for maybe a few days, maybe the rest of your life, instead of doing that, step outside and take a look at nature. Step outside and realize that this God says that the heavens, and this, in that situation, it, it's talking about the heavens that we can actually see and comprehend. And these declare the glory of God. I believe it's in Romans that Paul wrote that nature itself bears witness to God. I've asked him to put some things up here. If you look at, I know the closest thing we have to, to an ocean around here is Thousand Hills. I understand that. But when you look, if you've ever had the opportunity to stand on the banks, the shores, the beach, and just look out over water. And all the writers had to compare the vastness of God to is air and water. And it's, it's incomprehensible. It's something we, we can't quite grasp. And then you look at the beauty of some of the creation. I mean, I, I, there's no, we purposefully put no noise behind that, no audio, because I don't know about you, but I can hear it without hearing it. I can be there without being there. And none of this would have been possible except there was a God. But he's not just vast and he's not just intricate, but he's got a sense of humor. <laughs> Have an interesting story about these baboons, I believe that's what they call them. I could be wrong, but... Leslie's mother was in a wheelchair for the last few years of her life, and we went to the zoo out in Tucson and was rolling her around, and she was enjoying all the creatures. And when we came to the place, I mean, they had this, this glass separation at wheelchair level where she could see in this pen where there was two of these critters running around. And first of all, when they seen her coming, they stuck their face right up where her face would be. The next thing is one of them turned around with its tail toward her, the big red, and the other one reached over and grabbed the tail and went, oop, oop. <laughs> and she didn't just laugh for a day, she laughed for a week after, hear, after seeing that. that these, these whatever were entertaining, and to me, ever since then, I've thought of that and thought of the humor of God. I could tell you many stories where God has broken into the intensity of a moment with humorous things. And uh, I'll tell you uh, at least one, maybe two, but the, 
down in southern Arkansas, we had some meetings that, I mean, it was intense. We, the meetings we set out started for three days and wound up lasting more than 21 days of, of meetings twice a day, uh, three, four hours long of God just doing, doing work among people and healing. And had this guy come forward and he, he told me, <laughs> the first thing he told me was, uh, I'm, I'm almost constantly asking people, what, what is it that you're asking from God? And he said, he's just a, a guy from the hills of Arkansas. He said, well, I had to have a valve replaced in my heart, and they put a pig valve in my heart, and it's squealing. <laughs> and of course, I just lost it. I, I just backed up to the platform and sat down and laughed for a little while, and everybody around did too. And then we prayed for him, and he went to the doctor the next day because he was feeling better, and the doctor said that that was taken care of, that God totally healed him, and that there was no noise in that. And the doctor said, it sounds like a young man's heart. And now those of you that recognize the names might, might recognize the humor of this next statement, but the pastor asked him to give testimony the next day of what had happened, and he said, I've been to see Billy Hinn and Oral Rogers, and they never got healed, but God healed me last night. <laughs> so there's moments of humor as you serve God and as you see how he works and how he works among his people. But you realize that as you get to know him, you realize more and more that he's not like you. And as you begin to comprehend him a little bit, you, you begin to understand that even though there's parts of him I comprehend and there's parts of him I begin to understand, at the moment that I'm reaching some understanding here, I become aware of so much more that is God. So much more that is out there. So much more that I can, I can begin to comprehend. And I'm, I'm saying this at the beginning because I want you to enter into this time with God this morning when in the back of your mind with having Him so vast and so fascinating, so almost unreachable but not quite unreachable because He's made Himself reachable. I want you to have that kind of thinking in your mind as we go into this because... God, in his, in his amazing power, has allowed us to know him. But more than that, he wants to know you. And if you hold yourself distant from him, or you present to him something that's not real, he can never know you. A lot of people want to create this religious ideal, this religious facade. And not only do they offer that to the friends around them, they want to offer that to God. But God says that he wants you to come boldly before the throne of grace as you. And there you, there you obtain mercy. Uh, I'm just going to brush by mercy and grace this morning, but I, I love the singing, of the worship songs, because they were about that. But if you just take a, an entire uh, Bible view of mercy, you find that in God's mercy, He's willing to cause you to desire different things with your permission. Now, any of you that have had a, a long-term addiction of any kind, you'll recognize what I'm saying. But uh, if you have something that you know you shouldn't be doing, you know, you might be able to stop that while the, while the people of God are around and make them think you don't really do that. But you can't stop it while God's around. Because He's always around. So there's that, there's that thing inside that, that you think, I've got to get rid of this. But then, to be honest, you have to say, but I like it. I want it. I, I want to do this. I, I like this. And if you'll take that honest attitude to God, saying, God, I think you're asking me to allow myself to be separated from this, but God, I've got to confess to you, I like this. Then he'll extend his mercy and start a process that will cause you to hate that thing. 
Because you'll begin to understand that it is destroying your life. It's taking life from you in whatever measure it is. And I could give you a lot of testimonies out of my own life where that has happened. So the mercy of God comes to you and causes your human desires to change to godly desires. And then His grace comes and empowers you to change. His grace is His power to do His will. And His will... My goodness, it's not a controlling God imposing something on you. His will is that you move toward Him and become what you are designed to be, not necessarily what He has in sight for you, but there's, there's part of your DNA. You're uniquely designed to be something in the kingdom of God. He wants you to discover that. And He wants you to push toward that. He wants to help you with that. He wants to help you recover from those things of the past that keep you from it. Now... With that kind of thinking, I, I want to read out of Second Peter chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence, for by these... He has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now, this word corruption is an important word. I've looked at it for years and and worked with it, and I've never, as far as I know, I've never actually used it to open up the beginning of a message before, but this word corruption, it speaks to, the, to a diseased condition of the fallen soul. Now, there's all kinds of examples we could give to you, but almost anything, if you, if you form a lust around that thing and begin to, begin to pursue that thing, it will almost inevitably become a condition that is an illness, a sickness. And this corruption speaks to that. It, it's a condition of a fallen soul. And, and the bad part, the worst part to me about corruption is that it brings about thoughts of dishonor. When you begin to realize that something is destroying you, you don't start thinking about how awful that substance is or that something is. You start thinking about how awful you are because you're giving in to that. And you begin to withdraw. Not not to move out into light, you begin to withdraw into darkness. But now the worst problem that develops out of that is I begin to look through my darkness at other people. And I begin to judge them according to my darkness. And therefore, I either draw them into my darkness... And we begin to communicate and to, and to relate on that level. Or I shove them completely out of my life thinking that they think about me like I think about me. Corruption. And a lot of the Scholars call that a word that speaks about the dishonor of the soul, that your soul begins to dishonor uh, itself, and it begins to dishonor everybody around you. But perhaps worst of all, it begins to dishonor God because you you've somehow in that moment you're not able to grasp what the new covenant is all about. In that moment you're not able to grasp what the death of Jesus is all about. So assuming that you are this dishonorable person because this thing is working in you and you, you have dishonorable people that are, that are around you, then you think God himself is dishonorable in that he thinks of you the same way and he pushes you away. And that's why it is so important that you come into the realization that because of the blood of Jesus, there is given to you a new heart, a new spirit, and a new way of thinking. 
that God wants to come in and he wants to change things about you. He wants to cause you to see something from the light and there is a process in that. It doesn't happen overnight. And you begin to realize if you, if you will allow it to that, that your former truth, your formal, even your formal DNA or bloodlines demand the darkening of your thinking. But now, that's all cut off. Now, that's all forgiven. Now, he gives you a brand new start. and You can begin to think that I can connect myself with God himself through the power of the Spirit, and he'll begin to change me. He'll begin to save me. Saved, delivered, and healed. And that's the way it works, that we begin to realize that there is a newness now that I can lay hold of, and I have to believe, I have to trust that God is... is who he says he is and that he feels about me like he says he feels about me that I'm his son and he wants to bring me into the fullness of life now this is not really complicated but when you begin to understand that the light of God, the life of God, the Word of God, the breathing forth of God is what comes to you when He begins to convince you that He has uh, supplied salvation for you, that when you begin to think like that, that you walk in a new way, and then and only then can you see the kingdom of God. That's why the enemy is so, he's so uh, possessed. Yeah, he's possessed. He's possessed with, with causing you to see the darkness. He's possessed with causing you to focus on those accusations of, of your past. Can you ever embrace the idea that God cut your past off at the blood of Jesus? He cut it off. It doesn't have to affect you. Yeah, I know of all, I know of a lot of the teaching that, that surrounds that we have to go back and deal with that. He dealt with it. Now, if you must, then go back and deal with it, but then leave it there and walk away from it. Now, in Romans 12, 1 and 2, and for the next few messages I preach, it'll probably, I'll probably read these, but therefore, when the Bible says, therefore, it's, re it's referring to what went before. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, we've already talked about mercies, but there's something about mercy that I want you to see because the enemy will try to twist this. God has every right to punish you. Every right. But because of mercy, he won't. Not unless you insist. Because of mercy. Because he knows that he has the ability to change your thinking. And here's something that, that is a part of this that, that you need to understand. That when God looks at you with compassion, there is an original thing there that, that, that I've never heard anybody teach on until right now. But in that word, there's original thing, is acknowledgement of misfortune. When God looks at you, in his mind there is an acknowledgement of the misfortune that came to you to cause you to believe like you used to believe and to be like you used to be. You didn't really decide to become like, like you became. I, I remember back when I first started playing with certain aspects of, of uh, the fallen world, whatever. I, I don't even want to go into it, but I remember when I first started playing with it that I never intended to become addicted. I never intended to become a person with almost no feelings. I, I never intended to become a person that, that didn't like people. I had no intention of doing that. But I had the misfortune of playing with the things that brought me deeper and deeper into darkness until all of a sudden I couldn't see a way out. God acknowledges that misfortune 
And he begins to shine his light in that darkness and to invite you out, as the song was saying. He invites you out. He invites you to come. And God knows the only way that you can get out of that is with his help. Otherwise, it's going to consume you. He knows you cannot get out of it without his help. But he also requires that while I live, that I live set apart unto him. Because I am acknowledging the problem of my past and embracing the hope of my future. Now, I, I don't want to get into modern psychology on this, so hear me out before you close the door. But there is a truth that is more true than your normal truth. Now, let, let me work on that a moment. If you go through life saying, I do these things because it's been in my family for years. I have this religion. You hear me? I have this religion because it was good enough for my mom and dad. It's good enough for me. I abuse my right to express emotions because that's the way my family does things. In other words, I'm an angry person, but my family been angry for years. My family does not treat women right. It's in my bloodlines. You know what? That can be your truth if you insist. But there's a truth that's more true than that. And the truth is that Jesus shed his blood for that. And it's not right that that should exist when he's offering you this, which is the light of God, and to walk in it, and to walk in righteousness and self-control, and, and that you begin to, to not be that woman that, that rages at her husband, that you begin to not be that husband that, that just ignores his wife. There you, Jesus has a right to expect you to walk different than that. However, if you want that to be your truth, it can be. But the greater truth is he'll bring you out of that for his name's sake and because he loves you. And I'm telling you, he didn't have to do that. He didn't have to love you. He didn't have to bring you out, but he chose to do that. Now, if we are conformed, the scripture says, don't be conformed to the world. But if we're conformed to the way our family's always done it, even if we're conformed to the way our culture is presently doing it, you can do that. And you can have it pressure you until you live a life that's depressed and anxious and having panic attacks and all that stuff. Why? Because there is a culture that's trying to pressure you to be something you're not from the outside. Now, conformed people... Cause other people, pressure other people to be conformed. You say, oh, you don't know the pressure that's on me at work to be like everybody else. Yeah, they want to conform you to their truth. Why? So they can feel better about their sin. But instead, be transformed, something that happens from the inside of you, as you allow God to renew your mind. Now, conformed people pressure other people to be conformed. Transformed people transform people. When you stand in the transformation that God has given you and say, Oh no, this is God. I live this way, not that way. You're not condemning them. You're letting the transformation that is in you touch something inside of them and giving them an offer that from the inside you too can be transformed. Now to me this is just basic teaching and I'm going to go into a little bit here as I go along about, about how to get there on this. But if you allow your mind to be renewed, it'll transform your life. But your accepting the renewal is previous to your understanding. God's not going to cause you to understand all this and then let you do it. He's going to say, embrace that it's different. Embrace that I'm going to take you out of your path. Embrace that and then I'll bring understanding. 
It's just the way it works. And I think last Sunday I proved that in Scripture, so I won't try to do it this Sunday. Now, in John chapter 7, I want you to see this passage of Scripture. John chapter 7, verse 16. So Jesus answered them and said, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. And let the power of that touch your mind. Here's the man that had the capacity to change everything, and he really did. He changed everything. But he's not telling people, you've got to conform to my doctrine. He said, my teaching is not mine. My teaching is not mine. If anyone is willing to do his will, talking about his father, he will know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak from myself. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who is seeking the glory of the one who sent him, he is true, and there's no unrighteousness in him. If you will ponder those scriptures, you'll see that Jesus was pointing toward a change of thinking that is a renewing of the mind. He was pointing toward, if you insist that this is the way it's always been and the way it's always going to be, then that's for your glory. That, that's trying to glorify your friends, your relatives, your culture. That's trying to do all that. But this teaching that comes from God, and you'll recognize it. When you start to embrace it, you'll recognize it. It changes you. It doesn't belong to you. But there's no unrighteousness, unrighteousness in that. Now, perhaps the easiest way to understand righteous and unrighteous, righteous is one that keeps covenant. Therefore, he's right with God and man. Unrighteous is the one that breaks the word and does not keep covenant. Therefore, he has no right relationship with God or man. I heard, this is very twisted, but I, I heard this, this this past week, and I, I, I want you to get how messed up this really is. There's a pastor that started to get interested in Taking, he started a church about four years ago and it, up to about 30 people. And he, he's interested in taking that into a more relational way of building. And as people began to talk to him about that and talk to him about, you know, to be really truly build relationally, you've got to talk to people about the hard things. And now here's what he said. Because of relationship, I can't talk to them about the hard things. That's an unrighteous relationship. Is it a relationship? Yes. But it's unrighteous. It's relating darkness to darkness. Righteous relationships, we begin to love one another to the point to where if God tells me to, that I can talk to Karen about something, and she might not like it, but she'll realize that I love her. I can talk to Bill about something, and he'll recognize I love him. He can talk to me about something. And I'll respond because I know he loves me. And we, we need to talk these things out. Righteousness, true righteousness, is the keeping of the covenant. And we always measure conversation and relationship by the covenant. The fact that Jesus shed his blood. And that that blood was shed to break the power of sin. And if it's not breaking the power of sin, then we're unrighteous. So... All of this begins to come in and we begin to realize that this is very important that if we're, going to, if we're going to walk in God, there's no unrighteousness in Him. Now, I loved one of the songs and what it was saying this morning because I want to give, I'm, I'm going to do this for several weeks probably, talk a little bit about helping, maybe helping you on your journey in coming to know God. And I've really had to ponder this over the past few weeks because it's something that you do and it becomes such a natural part of you that you really don't think about teaching it. And when God first began to talk about it, I, I heard my old teacher, Clark Taylor's voice in my ear, his Australian accent saying, if you can do it, you can teach it. You just got to put the time in it. <laughs> and he's right. But here's the thing that we have to do to get beyond the American culture. The American culture has pressed us into some molds that we need to break free from. One is the mold that, that uh, our value is, is determined by performance. Uh, that's really not true. 
But when you begin to realize the vastness of God, and very weakly demonstrated by the pictures, and, and talk about and how the psalmist talks about the heavens, declare his righteousness and his glory, and, and the, you look at nature itself, and you just, you know, no man has an excuse saying God didn't come to me because it's all out there, it's all here. Just the fact that man has the capacity to build a building like this that, that will expand over 50 years, and, and it begins to be something kind of special in, in God's kingdom. It was designed in the beginning to be special, and then it looked like it was going to deteriorate and fall in, and, and then all of a sudden it's become special again in, in God's design, and you know what? It never was not special in God's eyes. It's an amazing thing what God has done with this building. If I, if I remember right, Chelsea actually was saved in this building years ago, and I didn't know if she was saved or not. found out she was saved in this building. <laughs> No, that's not true. <laughs> I'm in trouble now. But, folks, if we just understand that we need to realize that the process in God is, is it's sometimes long, sometimes hard. And the big thing about it is I can't make it happen. And that goes against the American mindset. Mark Drake, I was telling you of him earlier, his, his daughter, when she was quite a bit younger, uh, was an actress and, and living in L.A., making good money, and a disease hit her. And just out of the blue, and, and the doctors were, said, well, she will continue to deteriorate and it will eventually take her life. Over the course of six years, they just... they. Mark said, I, I felt restrained from insisting that God do something. I'd just go to him and say, God, we're your children, and we just put our daughter in your hand, and we know you're the healer. And for six, almost seven years, deterioration, 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 deterioration. And then it turned. She just started getting better. The doctors had never seen it in this disease. And over the course of five years then, she became completely well. Eleven years of process to the point of almost dead. And then it just turned around from a family that every day was taking it before God. And they weren't trying to make it happen. They weren't trying to learn the ins and outs of it. They, they weren't trying to do any of that. They were just taking it to God. And God turned it. Now, if, you want, if you're going to understand the way God works, you've got, to, you've got to understand some of this. God will let you make mistakes. But if you will allow Him, He'll teach you out of those mistakes. And that's the way I like to, that's the way I like to see leaders lead, that, that let young people start to step up and take some authority, knowing they'll make mistakes. Even praying they will make mistakes. Why? Let's get the mistakes on the road while there's still some of the older ones alive to help them through those mistakes and to help them to know God will get them through. Folks, this is the way God leads. It's the way God does things. He, will, if you, he gives you amazing, amazing honor. If you insist, you've, you've heard him... You've heard him say something to you, and, and if you insist on going in a different direction, saying, surely that's not God, he'll let you do that. And he'll let you smack against that wall. And I think he probably kind of laughs when you do. Yeah, but maybe God's not like me. <laughs> but then he'll pick you up and say, come on, let's keep moving. It's... You've got to understand that it's a process. You can't get frustrated with the process. You can't quit in the process. You've got to have confidence and trust that it's God. And why do you have trust? It's because He said He would help you. He said He would do it. He's God. So, when you begin to use the Bible, and I am a... Those of you that know me well know this. I am a fan of the Bible, the written word. I love it. I'm in it. I'm working with it. I'm, I'm 
using it as a, as a guide. I'm, I'm developing my own areas of thought in it all the time. I love it. But how many of you know you can't read it through one time and say, okay, God, I got this? How many of you older ones would be honest enough to raise your hand and say, my doctrine has changed about every month ever since I've been saved? Why did it change? Because of the written word. It grows, it develops, it becomes a part of you. And you begin to understand that the, the power doesn't lie in that book. The power lies in the words of that book which start to come alive in you and start to cause things to happen. Now, for the last two weeks, has it been, was it two weeks ago we was at Monroe City? On the, was it two weeks? Anyway, Paul, did, Paul Washington did a, a thing on uh, communion, and we're going to have him here on the 16th Sunday morning. He's going to do communion for us. And I'll tell you what, it'll be a different experience. <laughs> it, it's good. Paul is, Paul is amazing. He's my friend. And use his words, he and I are salt and pepper, and we, do, we work really well together. Now, ever since that, I've been pondering this scripture in, in Corinthians where Paul talks about his body, the bread representing his body that was broken, and the cup that represents his blood. I haven't gotten very far into the body because I've been pondering the representation of his blood. His blood that was shed for you and I. Folks, I'm telling you, you don't know. I've made this mention of this last week and I'll do it several more times. You don't know how saved you are. His blood was shed. They didn't spill the blood of the Son of God. He shed it. He let it go. Why? For your salvation. For your salvation. That means... That all of that stuff from the past that should have an effect on me and should be sending me on a spiral into hell itself was canceled because of the blood of Jesus. And my willingness to embrace that and my willingness not to understand it until after I embraced it. But that blood was shed. So if, you, if you're going to work with knowing this amazing God, one of the first things you've got to get in your mind is the thing that the first the guy was saying up there. He's, he's uh, said a lot, but the big thing is God's not like you. He didn't say that. I'm saying it. God's not like you. He's outside of this, but he's also inside of this and through this. And I've got to immediately quit trying to get my mind around that because that just brings all kinds of problems. But I can get my mind on the pieces in His Word. And so when I go to His Word, instead of trying to race through three chapters every day, so at the end of the year I can say, I read the Bible through in a year. Instead of that, I might pick out one full oracle, one full statement, and spend a year on it. And yeah, I've done things like that. But just... just as you're reading through and just browsing, there'll be, there'll be something that'll start to, to build up in you and you realize God's trying to say something. And don't go on past that. Go back and read it and read it and read it. It might be three verses. It might be three words. It might be whatever. But make sure you get it in context and then begin to ponder it. And God has put this where you can go on about your everyday life, you can go on about your job or whatever, and you can be pondering those things that's in His Word because you've ingested it. You've taken the time to realize God's trying to talk to me and I want Him to talk to me. And you begin to think about it. You begin to think about it. Think about it. You ask Him about it. You ask Him questions about it. And you begin to realize that God is doing something inside of me. And at some point, then it will begin to simmer and, and bubble up. And the next thing you know, it's a part of you. It really becomes a part of you. You know, I hear people talking about, why well, that person just acts like the Scriptures are second nature. I don't want the Scriptures my second nature. 
I want the Scriptures, my first nature. I want the first response I have to be a God response. I want to learn, learn how to respond out of Him in every life. You want to know why Jesus was so successful? He touched everything by the Spirit first. He didn't touch it emotionally first. He touched it by the Spirit first. And when He touched it by the Spirit, then He could respond emotionally and bleed over the Spirit onto it. You learn to do that, and it'll change you. It'll change everything about you. People will say weird things like, don't look in His eyes. He looks, he looks weird. Yeah, He looks weird. He's looking on another world. You, just, you begin to respond in ways that go, people go, oh, what was that? That was the response from the heavenlies. Not second nature, first nature. You respond that way because it's so much a part of you. And the only way to get there is by spending that time. Now that's why I say, don't just think it's reading the Bible a little bit every morning and then saying a however long prayer every morning. That's not what it's about. It's about learning to commune with Him. Spending time with Him. And listening to Him and knowing that God can touch you and God can change you. Because there's things, there's things that you can get by quoting Scripture. Uh, I've, I've seen it. I, I've seen people that just stay on it, stay on it, stay on it, and it would begin to happen. There's things that, that you can get by, by just uh, having a sense of, of, of God is going to do it at this time. And you ask Him and it works. But there's some things that He wants to do for you. Now, understand me. God comes to you and works in you. But the things that He wants to do for you is what He does out from you. Can you imagine what it done to Samson when that lion raised up against him and he tore it with his bare hands? That done something for Samson. Didn't do much for the lion. But think about it. The Bible talks about it a little later that Samson going by that same place and the bees had set up a hive in there and Samson grabs that honey and you can just see him, you know, the, the sweetness of victory, that stuff dripping all over him. He's eating that honey out of that lion's carcass remembering what it done for him to tear that lion. God wants to do something coming to you. He wants to do a work in you. The most powerful things He'll do for you is what He does out from you because of His presence and because you have the nature of God in you and you begin to be, I'm going to use this word, your, your default is God instead of the ways of this world. That things will be offered to you out there and instead of feeling the pressure to fit in, you'll just say, no, I don't do that. No, don't feel any pressure at all. Ah, you're just trying to be holy. Yep. You're right. Don't do a very good job of it, but I'm trying. Well, you're just super religious. I hope God says that when I stand before Him. Why? Because He's done something in me. And He's done it because of hours and days and weeks and months and years of just pondering what He has said and listening to what He is saying and doing a lot more listening than I am talking. And sometimes I've got something on my heart and I realize, yeah, God's wanting to do something through me here. And I begin to say, God, okay, help me. Teach. Help me, help me. How do I respond here? What do I say here? Is there anything I can do? And I begin to realize that it just be you. Why? Because you have been so infused and so profoundly affected by God that all you got to do is just be you. And all of a sudden the conversation will turn and you'll be able to feed the Word of God into it. God wants to raise up a people like that. I, he wants our kids to learn to be like that. He wants us to be where we just live so much in tune with Him that we're just fine to sit over in the corner and say nothing. Because there's still something flowing forth from me. Why? Because it's a, he's a moving God. He, he's never sitting still. And, and if he's alive in me and doing something inside of me, he's touching things around me. And understand that my understanding of God is going to be limited. But his willingness to use me is almost unlimited in my circle. And that's why you see some people that they, they quote a verse of Scripture and it sounds like they're preaching at you. Somebody else quotes it and it feels like the Holy Spirit just jerked you up and got in your stuff. Why? Because they knew the one who said it. They knew the one who inspired it. And they were speaking it out of Him, not out of themselves. And that's why Jesus would stand and say, 
My teaching's not mine. <laughs> it doesn't belong to me. There again, that, that, you've got to have that denial built in. You say these things, if you live out from Him, you say these things, you can always say, deniability, it wasn't me, God. you got to deal with Him. So, in wrapping it up, I just want to say, if you don't feel like right now He's speaking to you, just settle down until you know that He is. Don't spin out and start accusing Him. God never talks to me. God never does what I want Him to do. I read and it's so boring. I, no, just settle down. It's all good. In His time. There'll come a time when you'll get your spirit settled enough. You know, He's a God of peace. And that peace is just the opposite of strife. And the strife is all this stuff that we want to take the accusations of the world and make them our own. But peace is, it's all good. God's talking to me. It'll be all right. When he decides that I am to understand and I get myself settled enough to understand, it'll be all right. Hear me. It'll be all right. If you're mine, I will keep in perfect peace, what? Whose mind is stayed on me. When you feel that agitation, that strife start to come, pull it back. That's, that's cool. It's all right. It's all right. It's going to be good. That'll make people around you mad sometimes because they want to get worked up. <laughs> but it's all good. And understand that it's not about laying claim to the promise. The real promise in the Word is God's Word to your situation. I can't take David's promise and lay claim to it and make it work in my life. can't take Chelsea's promise and lay claim to it and make it work in my life. But I can hear their testimony and receive the fact that God worked in them and I can be before God about it and tell, talk to God about the situation I think I'm in but then be open for Him to tell you about the situation He knows you're in and then when His Word comes to you so then faith comes by hearing doesn't come by quoting Scripture doesn't come by claiming Mary's promise comes by hearing and when I hear it then I can act on it and move with it and find it in my life powerful and I mean destroying the works of the enemy all around me and I've laid hold of him. Now here's one thing I want you to take away with you this morning. Many times we allow our situation to lay hold of us. God wants you to get in his presence and to hear his word to the point where his promise lays hold of you. Paul said, I leave all of that behind me. And I lay hold of that, what? For which I've been laid hold of. God will lay hold of you and bring you into places you need to go to. And you will not affect it except negatively by saying, by sitting, kneeling, whatever, and quoting it, repeating it, saying it's yours when it's not yet. You will not affect it anyway, but in a negative way that way. You can go to him in peace and say, God, I need your answer. I need you to talk to me. When he talks to you, you'll be able to lay hold of it and draw it into your world. And when that happens, you'll be able to release the decree of God because his word will be possessing you. You won't be possessing his word. And that's very important. And in this, your old nature dies away. And his nature becomes the first nature in your mind, in your heart, in your life. Hallelujah. Sandra, lay hands on Ashley there for a minute. She's here now. Let's physically pray for her. Father, in Jesus' name, we rebuke the power of this poison that has been into her system, causing the problems on her arm. And God, we just release your healing power right now in Jesus' name. <laughs> Lord, you're the healer. You're the healer.
You're the healer. God has a witness. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let's bow your head for a moment. I, I believe this is a committal time that you would commit yourself to knowing Him. Realizing that amazing things has taken place because of the blood of Jesus. And one of the most amazing is God has said, Come now, you can know me. You can know me completely. And when you come into my presence at the end, I'll say, come on in, because you've been a good and faithful servant. I know who you are. I think it's more important that he knows me than that I know him. So I need to ask him, God, who's the real me? Because, God, I don't want to die to self. I want to present self to you as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to you. God, teach me to do that. Teach me your ways, God. Teach me your ways, God. Teach me your ways, God. Lord, I don't just want to see your acts. I want you to teach me your ways. God, help me to have my mind centered on you. Father, I pray that there will be a week of clarity come to this people as they walk among others. When they feel the world pressing in on them, trying to conform them, help them to go back to the power of the transformation that has happened in them and to respond out of that instead out of the conformity to the world. Father, I love you as much as I know how to love. Teach me to love you better. Teach me to respond to you more. Teach me, God. Lord, I take authority over things that have been plaguing your people. The darkness, the accusations, the power of the enemy. I take authority over that and command them to be quiet for some days and give people opportunity to open back up to you. In Jesus' name, amen.